Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is Why Is That, the podcast. Trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. If you don't, I don't care, I'll pull down your underwear. Welcome back to Why Is That Podcast. It feels like it has been a really, really long time since we last spoke. I greatly appreciate you sticking around through the hiatus, and we are set to resume our every four-week episode schedule moving forward. Today, we are going to have a special October episode look into trick-or-treating. An old grump might say that the Halloween tradition of trick-or-treating has spread around the world thanks to the consumerist attitude of the Americans infecting the rest of the world. They might have somewhat of a point, as the National Retail Federation projects that Americans will spend a whopping $8.8 billion on Halloween-related expenditures this year, with $3.2 billion on costumes and $2.6 billion on candy. That is a lot of cash, as the average participant will spend $86.27 on Halloween this year. That does beg the question, how do you plan to celebrate Halloween this year? Are you taking the over or the under on the $86? Do you go all out and design a whole haunted house in your front yard for all the neighborhood children to enjoy? Or do you turn out the lights and pretend you aren't home in order to stop anyone from ringing your doorbell and stealing your candy? Let me know on Twitter or Facebook at WhyIsThatPod or by email WhyIsThatPod at gmail.com. The worldwide phenomenon of trick-or-treating largely started in the 1980s, but it originated in North America somewhere around the 1920s, with popularity exploding once the sugar rations of World War II were lifted in 1947. The presumed inspiration of the practice, though, go back much, much earlier. When we talk about Halloween, there are typically four ancient-slash-traditional festivals that are given credit as the forerunners of the holidays and most of the traditions. These four festivals are the Roman Feralia Festival, which commemorated the dead, the Roman Pomona Festival, which honored the goddess of fruit trees and coincided with the Vertumnalia, the Catholic Church's All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day, and most importantly, the Celtic Festival of Samhain. As we are specifically looking into trick-or-treating, we won't be touching on the Roman festivals any further as their traditions are thought to have inspired other portions of the holiday. There are some, like the Wiccans, who still celebrate Samhain today, but it is primarily known as a pre-Christian Gaelic festival that was most popular in Scotland, Ireland, and on the Isle of Man. It began at sunset on October 31st and lasted until sunset on November 1st. It marked the end of the harvest season and the start of the cold, barren winter season. The 19th century scholars Sirs John Rise and James Fraser suggested that November 1st was the first day of the Celtic year and that Samhain was a New Year's celebration. This view has been repeated by other scholars since, but there is not a consensus on that point. It could just as easily be a simple, though important, harvest festival. Samhain is arguably the greatest influence on Halloween traditions. In today's episode, we are going to focus primarily on the points that relate to trick-or-treating rather than taking a deep dive into the festival in general. If you want more on the transformation of Halloween from pagan to Christian to party, then I would recommend episode 41 of the History of Witchcraft podcast. 
The Samhain festival was marked by a belief that it was the one day of the year when the realm of the living would overlap with the realm of the dead. As a result of the overlap, spirits of the dead would walk amongst those of the living. This was not an issue for the night spirits, but the night spirits were not the only ones who would appear. Demons and other nefarious spirits would be unleashed on the realm of the living, and if they encountered any living soul, then they would attack. The ancient Celts devised an ingenious way to survive the night of the overlap. They would dress themselves up as departed souls and fool the evil spirits into thinking that they too were dead. The evil spirits had no wish to harm one of their own, and as a result would allow the disguise to go about their business unmolested. In that sense, it is a little like a zombie show where the main characters cover themselves in zombie muck and then walk amongst the undead as though in some sort of undead camouflage. In this case, you can drop the unpart of that equation. The costumes were further worn as part of the bonfire ceremony in order to tell the story of the living and the dead. The tradition of wearing costumes during Samhain inspired our modern Halloween costumes. Over time, the costumes have morphed away from representing souls into being basically anything. However, it seems that throwing a sheet over your body and becoming a ghost is even more of a classic costume than It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown of 1966 would lead us to believe. As for going around to your neighbors to get treats slash food slash toothbrushes, that is a later development. The closest Samhain tradition to that was the way the living would leave out food and drinks for the returning souls to enjoy. It was believed that departed souls would return to their former homes and enjoy the food, or in the event that the spirit was of the evil persuasion, the food would placate them enough that would cause them not to destroy the present resident's dwelling. A far cry from our current tradition, but it does give us the start of our food and costumes traditions. In earlier episodes, we have mentioned that the early Christian church primarily only celebrated Easter and various saints' days. As the Roman Catholic Church grew to be more mainstream and spread their influence throughout Europe, the church leaders added holidays and traditions to their yearly calendar. The saints' days were added to honor martyrs and deceased holy men of the church. By 610, there were starting to be more saints and martyrs than days of the year. In order to continue honoring the saints, a special holiday was added to be celebrated every May 1st called All Saints Day. As the name implies, it was a day for all saints and martyrs to be honored. It became common practice to also hold a vigil the night before All Hallows' Eve, hollow standing in for saints as being a noun for a saint or holy person. In other words, it was the evening for all saints. All Saints Day was moved to November 1st. This is believed to have happened sometime in the 8th or 9th century, perhaps instigated by Pope Gregory III, though the date may have varied by location for some additional centuries. As mentioned, the vigil held the evening before All Saints Day was known as All Hallows' Eve or Hallows' Evening, which is where the name Halloween originated. All Saints Day was used to honor deceased saints, whereas the night before often honored non-holy souls. It has been theorized that All Saints Day was added to the Christian holiday schedule and placed on November 1st as a way to dissuade the new formerly Celtic pagan converts from celebrating Samhain by providing them with a holy Christian tradition in which to channel their old traditions. It is also possible that the date overlap was not on purpose, but once it happened, the similarity of the two holidays, that is, both involved the dead, allowed for a sharing of traditions. 
Either way, whether by design or by accident, the tri-doom of All Hallow Tide came to reside on the same days at the Celtic Samhain Festival. Over time, in the areas that had once celebrated Samhain, the new Celtic Christians allowed for their old traditions to be borrowed and absorbed into a new holy tradition. The Samhain tradition of dressing up as souls and spirits inspired the Catholic observers of All Hallows' Eve to dress up as saints, angels, or demons during their celebration. Once costumes were introduced into the Christian celebration, it did not take long for an activity to develop to go along with the dress-up. It is unknown precisely when the tradition started, however it became common for children and poor adults to dress in the costumes of saints, angels, demons, and souls, and then venture door-to-door in their village. At each door, those in costumes would sing a song, perform a skit, or in some other way impress their neighbor with a skill. In Britain and Ireland, the costume performers were rewarded with food or a treat, most commonly a cake that was baked with sweet spices or fruits and marked with a cross known as a soul cake. The soul cakes were delicious treats that children looked forward to receiving all year. They were called soul cakes partially due to the costumes of the recipients, but the name had more to do with the purpose of handing out the pastries. Anyone who handed out a soul cake would have their soul prayed for by the recipient. As a result, the well-off villagers who baked and handed out the soul cakes were having their souls looked after for the generosity, and the recipients were receiving a delicious treat. Here is an example of a song and a rhyme that would have earned someone a soul cake in the 19th century. A soul, a soul, a soul cake, please good missus a soul cake, an apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry, any good thing to make us all merry, one for Peter, two for Paul, three for him who made us all. A shorter, simpler rhyme might be as follows. Souls, souls, for a soul cake, pray you, good mistress, a soul cake. As the name implies, a soul cake represented a soul. Those who dressed up and went around collecting soul cakes were known as soulers. Soulin appears to be the earliest tradition related to Halloween of costumed children receiving snacks from neighbors after going door to door. It is unknown exactly how widespread the Solon tradition was or exactly when it started. It is believed that it was a common tradition throughout medieval Britain and Ireland. The Solon tradition of costume masqueraders searching for cakes is closely related to the British geysers tradition. Geysers, a noun inspired by the word disguise, was used to describe a masquerader, mummer, one who grows from house to house whimsically disguised and making diversion with songs and antics. According to the online etymological dictionary, A geyser was a common phrase from the late 15th century. However, it was more commonly referred to those who celebrated the Christmas holiday rather than Halloween. Perhaps something like our modern-day caroler. In the 19th century, the souling tradition of Halloween was largely replaced by geysing in the United Kingdom. This mainly resulted in children dressing up and begging for money or food instead of solely soul cakes. Instead of offering to pray for the person offering the food, the children instead offered to tell jokes, sing songs, play an instrument, recite a poem, or perform in some other way for the amusement of the giver. It is believed that the guising tradition was brought with Irish and Scottish immigrants to the New World in the late 19th and or early 20th century. The first known documented reference to guising in North America was in a 1911 Kingston, Ontario newspaper. It mentioned how children would go street guising between 6 and 7 p.m. They would visit shops and neighbors, deliver rhymes and songs, and be rewarded with nuts and candies. After 7 p.m., the night was reserved for pranksters and private costume parties. 
Over the next three decades, the guising tradition and the pranking tradition kind of merged. Instead of offering rhymes and songs for their nuts and candies, the children instead extorted their neighbors for treats at the threat of a trick. The first documented reference to trick-or-treat comes from an Alberta newspaper in 1927. An excerpt reads as follows. Halloween provided an opportunity for real strenuous fun. No real damage was done except for the temper of some who had to hunt for wagon wheels, gates, wagons, barrels, etc., much of which decorated the front street. The youthful tormentors were at the back door and front, demanding edible plunder by the word trick-or-treat, to which the inmates gladly responded and sent the robbers away rejoicing. In the 1930s, the Helena Independent newspaper in Montana advertised a trick-or-treat candy mix for 23 cents, and on November 2, 1938, their readers reported that they had not taken kindly to being given an offer they can't refuse by small mask-wearing ghosts and ghoulies, and although they were threatened with little more than some impromptu window soaping, they expressed their annoyance in no uncertain terms by shooting at the little devils. In the 1920s and 30s, this tradition was primarily popular in the western side of North America. It is thought that the Great Depression may have helped the rise of vandalism and excessive pranks on Halloween. The outbreak of World War II saw an abrupt halt to trick-or-treating due to the sugar rationing and many of the young adults who would have been doing the pranks off fighting a war. Once the war ended, the trick-or-treating tradition was rekindled. It spread throughout the remainder of North America, and when the sugar ration ended, the candy companies chose to capitalize on the baby boom that followed the war. Trick-or-treating became a standard holiday tradition throughout the United States and Canada. By 1952, even Disney had gotten in on the holiday and produced a cartoon called Trick-or-Treat that featured Donald Duck and his nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, which is where our introduction song came from. With the commercialization of the holiday, it started to spread around the globe. Hollywood movies like E.T. in 1982 depicted the trick-or-treating tradition more frequently as the tradition continued to grow in popularity. Soon it was everywhere and now counts for billions of dollars in spending every year with whole stores dedicated to the celebration of Halloween and to the cause of trick-or-treating. I have seen it speculated or reported that trick-or-treating was an adult invention created to deter children from the growing custom of pranks and vandalization that occurred around Halloween. The pranks and vandalism often occurred on an evening specifically set for this type of activity. Mischief Night was a common name in the United Kingdom for the evening and typically occurred around May Day celebrations. Devil's Night was much the same, but it was set for the night before Halloween on October 30th. It began in Detroit and spread out from there and is the crime-related holiday I was most personally familiar with given my geographic location prior to looking into it. However, my research showed that while pranks and petty vandalism were somewhat common on Halloween prior to the trick-or-treat tradition, it is unlikely the tradition was developed by adults to detract from such practices. This conclusion is reached by references in newspapers and on radio shows that show that it was the children who had to explain the tradition to the adults and not the other way around. It was also a constant source of annoyance to adults who felt they were being extorted rather than feeling like they were tricking the children into behaving for some candy. As a result, my narrative of the tradition evolving over time and being instigated by children who wanted a treat rather than by adults is, I feel, the most likely course that gave rise to this tradition. 
In summary, the trick-or-treating tradition originated from a Samhain tradition that saw people dress up as souls to remain safe from evil spirits. Pagans converted to Christianity and brought the costume tradition with them to the vigil of All Saints Day. This costume tradition grew to include children and the poor traveling door-to-door singing and offering to pray for the souls of anyone who provided them with a soul cake. This morphed into more general guising where a rhyme or performance were exchanged for fruits or nuts. Irish and Scottish immigrants brought the guising tradition to North America, where a tradition of vandalism around the holiday had also developed. Children and young adults then modified the tradition from performing to offering homeowners with a choice of providing them with a treat or receiving a mostly harmless trick. The sugar ration of World War II halted the spread of trick-or-treating, but after the war, those new parents who remembered trick-or-treating fondly before the war allowed their baby boom to cement the new Halloween tradition of trick-or-treating. Starting in 1947, with the end of the sugar ration, trick-or-treating became a major component of Halloween celebrations in the United States and Canada. It has only grown more popular since. While this explains the tradition in North America, it does not really explain the growth of the tradition elsewhere. It was largely the more integrated communication and economy of the post-war world that allowed for trick-or-treating to spread throughout the world. Candy companies and Hollywood movies helped to make the tradition very visible throughout the world. It was not until the 1980s that trick-or-treating really started to gain a foothold in the United Kingdom. This foothold was met with some hostility. I found that a little ironic since souling and guising traditions were what inspired trick-or-treating, and had originated in the United Kingdom, but the stated reason that the United Kingdom disliked the trick-or-treating tradition is that it is yet another unwanted consumerist cultural import from the United States, though that is a viewpoint more popular with the aged than with the youth. Which way do you fall in the Halloween debate? Is it a fun tradition? Is it just consumerist culture? Is it both? Let me know what you think. Alright, that does it for our treatment of trick-or-treat. I hope you enjoyed our hopefully triumphant return to the podcast world. We will be back in four weeks with our next episode. Until then, please make sure you subscribe using your favorite podcast app, such as Podcast Republic, Acast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are streamed. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Why Is That podcast today. Until next time, cheers.